Okay. Morning. This is Radio Jackie broadcasting to Southwest London on two two seven meters medium wave. This is Alice's restaurant, ninety point four megahertz, and we're here to bring you the very best in rock music. You're in tune with Lou the Duke here on Radio City. If you want to write, anyway, welcome to MAR on two six six meters medium wave. The sound of the northwest. It's a Thameside radio on ninety point two megahertz VHF. <laughs> Welcome to episode 14 of the Pirates of the Airways podcast with me, Mark Wakeley. You may have noticed an absence of new shows over the last month or so. Well, there's been some interesting developments regarding the podcast and the Facebook group. First of all, we've been talking about having a land-based pirate radio convention sometime next year. This is in the very early stages, but we'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas. Secondly, I've been busy setting up new interviews for some future episodes. On that point, if you or any of your old pirate colleagues would like to be a guest in the future, then please get in contact with me at piratepod7080 at gmail.com. Or you can message me via the Facebook group. I'd like to hear from any old pirate radio person whether you're from the world of land-based or offshore. Come and tell us about your part in changing radio. Okay, now that's all done, on with this episode of Pirates of the Airwaves. This time we've been given permission by Laurie Hallett to play out his other pirate documentary. You may remember episode 21, where he talked to some of the London land-based pirates of the early 80s. Well, this time he covers the offshore pirates up to 1984 and includes exclusive interviews with Roland O'Reilly, Tony Blackburn and John Peel. And they talk about their time on the ships. So sit back and enjoy. When pirates wave the rules. If you were unlucky enough to be a pop music fan in the UK during the late 50s and early 60s, you wouldn't have got much joy from your radio. There was no Radio 1 or local commercial radio. The BBC had a monopoly, and with the exception of Radio Luxembourg, the only pop music you could hear was a few hours on the BBC's aptly named Light Programme. However, all this was set to change in 1964, when a young Irishman called Ronan O'Reilly decided to challenge the BBC's monopoly with, of all things, a radio station based on a ship in international waters outside British jurisdiction. The first broadcast was on Sunday, March the 29th, 1964. And if you'd been listening to 199 metres medium wave at the time... You're tuned to Radio Caroline on 199, your all-day music station. Caroline by The Fortunes, a song which remains to this day the signature tune of Radio Caroline, the first of the offshore stations to begin broadcasting to Britain. Simon D, whose voice you just heard introducing the station for the first time, also took the opportunity to tell the listeners something about Caroline. Simon D. talking to you on behalf of all of us on Radio Caroline. Yeah, four and a half miles away from Felixstowe. Now, what can I tell you about uh, the station? 
All our technical equipment, I suppose. Firstly, the transmitters are made by Continental Electronics in the States and are 10 kilowatts each, two of them, costing about 50,000 pounds each. And they will shortly be looped together, I expect, to give us a stronger signal when all the uh, boffins are finished working on them. The studio itself consists of various equipment, tape recorders, record players, of course, basically in a mixer. The record players are made by Gates, costing about 500 pounds each, and the Ampex tape recorders, I don't know the cost of those, I think they're about 1,000 pounds each. I've got about five of those. Record library, about 8,000 records, as many miles of tapes, which, of course, we change every so often when we find a tune we like. Well, you know, we're here to stay. We've managed to uh, fight the British government and win, and the GPO, and the customs, and generally everybody else. And thank you once more for your interest in our station. And from me now, and all of you, to all of you, from all of us, bye-bye. The station was an instant success, and within three weeks, a Gallup poll estimated that over seven million people had tuned in. Within a month of taking to the air, Caroline was joined by a second pirate station, Radio Atlanta, broadcasting from the MV Mi Amigo. Though after a few weeks of competitive broadcasting, the two stations merged and the original Caroline vessel upped anchor and sailed round the south coast of Britain to take up a new position off the Isle of Man as Radio Caroline North. By the end of 1964, another three outfits had joined the two Caroline stations, all avoiding the Wireless Telegraphy Act by broadcasting from outside territorial waters. Two of these were the first of many smaller operations established not on ships, but on derelict anti-aircraft emplacements in the Thames estuary, Radio Such and Radio Invicta. December 1964 saw the biggest pirate yet to take to the airwaves, Radio London. One famous voice that broadcast both on Caroline and Radio London was Tony Blackburn. It's going to be the longest record in the world, but a goodie. I had breakfast on a swim while that was going on. I tell you, that's the sound of the animals, house of the rising sun. Tony Blackburn here with you on Radio Caroline South, three and a half miles off the coast of Frinton in Essex. It's 24 minutes past eight o'clock. Let us say just a very good morning to all our friends in Holland and Belgium. Thank you very much indeed for all the letters you've been sending in. Also to a young lady who chucked a request over from the Lady Kent, the little pleasure boat that comes and sees us most days. I don't somehow think they'll be out in this gale today. But Susan James of Inverness Road, Ipswich in Suffolk, wants to say hello to her boyfriend John and John, Susan absolutely adores you. Going back in time on the sounds of the nation, it's the Caroline Flashback. Do you remember this one from Eddie Cochran called Come On Everybody? It's 24 and a half past eight. Caroline South. Well, it was very exciting, obviously, because it was new. Uh, it was a completely new thing to do. Uh, the ships themselves were quite comfortable. Well, Radio London was. Caroline wasn't quite as good. Um, and it was something, it was an adventure, really. We, we thought at the time that we were uh, part of a new, a completely new era. And, of course, it was the time, the 60s as well, was the pop explosion. So we had the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, and um, what with the pirate ships, it was the first time when younger people could really... Uh, uh, stamp their authority and what was going on. So I, I, I was very excited to be a part of it. Do you think it had a major effect on radio? Well, it, it, oh, obviously it did, yes. I mean, it got rid of the light programme and the home service and um, even got rid of Mrs Dell's diary, uh, eventually. Uh, yes, it did. I mean, it, if it wasn't for the pirate stations and what we did out there, I don't think you'd have commercial radio at the moment because this country has a way of struggling on doing its own thing. So, it, yes, it, was, it brought about everything, uh, in my opinion. It was the most important thing to happen in broadcasting. 
since its invention. Do you love Caroline on 199? The Caroline car sticker will tell everybody that you do. Join the Caroline Club and get a car sticker, plus a host of other special membership gifts. Hear your favourite discs on Caroline. Join now. Send five shillings to Caroline Club, Membership Department, 6 Chesterfield Gardens, London, W1. Little word of wisdom there from Simon D. Thank you very much there, Simon. Man, that's groovy. Well, I wasn't on there very long. I should emphasise that. I was only there about six months. And uh, it was a peculiarly happy time for me because I was coming to the end of a rather catastrophic marriage and being on the ship for two weeks out of three meant that I could uh, escape at least from direct conflict. So perhaps mine is a kind of rather uh, rose-tinted view of it. But I thoroughly enjoyed it, I must admit. Uh, there was no aspect of it that I didn't like. The idea of being cut off from the rest of mankind seemed by and large rather attractive. And I used to do uh, a programme late at night, and uh, which was very atmospheric, and then when I'd finished go and wander about on uh, deck and things, provided it wasn't too cold and too win wet and windy. And there were a couple of people on the ship, uh, a couple of engineers, actually, who were quite sympathetic to the music that I was playing at the time, which was uh, what would now be classified, I suppose, as sort of flower power music. And uh, that was quite nice. I mean, the rest of the lads obviously were very much into, um, you know, the chart stuff. I mean, in, fact, in fact, they weren't that much into music at all, I suspect, some of them, but just uh, into being disc jockeys, which, as you know, is an entirely different thing. That's John Peel, another familiar voice who began his British broadcasting career on the Pirates. So what effect does the man who started it all think the Pirates had in the 60s? Ronan O'Reilly isn't an easy man to get in touch with, as he's still involved with Caroline today, 16 years after the British government passed a law to put an end to the pirate stations. I spoke to him at the busy Caroline office somewhere in Europe. It was, it was, um, it was very big, and you can trace. Uh, you know, I mean, it's not, I don't think, an accident that prior to 63, uh, you can't find one single English group that made it outside these islands. Not one, right? And after 63, uh, they took over the world. I mean, you know, you can't say it's a total coincidence that, you know, when, when the youth of Britain got exposed to 24 hours of music, and that, that after that then they went and took over the world. It's not. I mean, obviously, you know, one of the big... The, one of the big inputs, one of the big helps for that, obviously, one of the big things were the Beatles, obviously. But, I mean, there's also all of the other groups that did it. I mean, it's an enormous... Um, so I think there's a, you know... I mean, who knows? The whole thing might be some kind of gigantic coincidence, but I, I don't think so. Quite clearly, the, the effect they had was considerable, and uh, in a way we could do something like that now, I think. Something which uh, gave encouragement to new bands, uh, perhaps at the expense of some of the old ones. I mean, there does seem to be a preoccupation on, uh, not just on Radio 1, but certainly on the commercial stations, which seem to be uh, conservative to a quite extraordinary degree. And uh, uh, although they, a lot of them pay lip service to the notion of uh, encouraging new bands, they, they don't seem to do a great deal of encouraging, at least this is not the report. Uh, you know, the, the reports I get certainly seem to emphasise this. But the pirate ships, 
because they had, uh, particularly on Radio London, which is the ship that I was on, and on Caroline, I think uh, records were rather uh, paid for, you know, bought onto their kind of playlist, but Radio London, this wasn't the case. And uh, so a lot of bands, which otherwise might not have got any exposure at all, got uh, played on the radio, which was ideal. Not all of them were good, of course, but that's never been the case. Despite their huge success and popularity, life wasn't a bed of roses for the pirates. For a start, they had to put up with the problems of life at sea. Tony Blackburn. It was always the joke that uh, eventually we'd end up on the coast of Frinton, and one uh, night I, I went to bed early because I was doing the breakfast show, and Norman St John, one of the DJs on board, one of my friends, he came down and he said, I think you ought to get up because uh, we're, coming, we're going aground. And I told him to, you know, to, to go away because I was sleeping. But anyhow, the captain came down. And um, I went upstairs and there were all the lights of Frinton all around us. And uh, I think we, we didn't have any radar on board, you see. So the, 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 the captain, he got this very high-powered torch, it was really, and he shone it. And we thought we were about two miles out still. And literally about 200 yards away, there were people walking along the seashore. And I remember him just shouting out, Mayday. And then there was this crunching sound and we went aground. And uh, we were taken off by a breeches boy. And also you had uh, a little escapade when you had to climb up a mast. What happened then? Um, well, uh, the boat had been off the air for a long time and uh, we were in a ten-force gale, I think it was, or something like that, and uh, there was something that got fouled up in the, in the mast right up, uh, right up the top. And none of the Dutch seamen would go up and it was just a case of uh, just getting this thing free. So I, I volunteered and I went up. And um, it really was quite terrifying, actually. I remember halfway up saying, you know, you bloody fool, never do this again. The weather, if you'll pardon the pun, wasn't the only cloud on the horizon. Opposition to the pirates in certain circles was growing, and in 1967, the Labour government of the day introduced the Marine Offences Act, which, although it didn't make the stations themselves illegal, made it illegal for a British subject to assist them in any way or advertise on them. The law came into effect on August the 14th, 1967, and all the stations except Caroline closed down, making way for the new BBC Radio 1 and later independent local commercial radio. Both the Caroline ships stayed on the air into 1968, when a Dutch salvage firm claimed the station owed them money and took both ships into port in Holland. That might well have been the end of the story, but in 1972, the MV Mi Amigo was bought by a group of free radio fans, supposedly to be made into an offshore radio museum. But a few months later, Caroline was back on the air, and that's the way it stayed until March 1982, when the lady, as she was sometimes called, finally succumbed to the elements and sank in heavy seas. Broadcasting on 319 metres, 963 kilohertz. Well, we're sorry to tell you that due to the severe con weather conditions and also to the fact that we're shoving quite a lot of water, we're closing down and the crew are at this stage leaving the ship. Uh, obviously, we hope to be back with you as soon as possible, but uh, we'd just like to assure you all on land that there's nothing to worry about. We're all quite safe. Just for the moment, we'd like to say goodbye. Tom? Yeah, it's um, not a very good occasion, really. I have to hurry this because the lifeboat is standing by. We're not leaving and disappearing. We're going onto the lifeboat, hoping that the pumps can take it. Um, if they can, we'll be back. If not, well, I don't like to say it. I think we'll great. be back one way or another. Yeah, I think so. From all of us, for the moment, goodbye and God bless. A few moments later, the carrier was cut, and by the morning, the MV Mi Amigo was underwater. 
Despite the loss of their ship, the people behind Caroline soon announced that the station would be back on the air, though many people at the time didn't believe it. But it wasn't until over three years later, after many false starts, that the familiar strains of Caroline were heard on the air again. This time from the thousand-ton Ross Revenge, a converted side trawler which at one time delivered some record catches to Grimsby, where she's still remembered with some fondness. Linda's farm, and that one's called Meeting Me on the Corner. Doubtless they're getting ready for their almost legendary Christmas concert they, they have in Newcastle every year. Before Linda's farm, we had a Ganitha Falskog and Can't Shake Loose and Carly Simon with the track from an LP called Hello Big Man or Hello Big Boy, whatever it's called. The one we heard was such a good boy. 21 minutes past five is the time listening to Caroline. Five from Genesis in this evening's Choice Cuts, but right now, Heart. And this one is called Johnny Moon. The new home of Radio Caroline is quite impressive and represents a large investment by the station's backers. One of the station's radio engineers, who goes by the name of Andy, described the setup. Well, there are two studios on the ship, um, both of which can be used as on-air studios, although one of them is mainly used for producing jingles and commercials and pre-recorded programmes. In each studio, there are some cartridge machines which are used for playing the jingles. They use a, a system similar to an 8-track stereo cassette that people used to have in their cars once upon a time. Um, there's a cassette machine and two record decks and a control panel for mixing all of this. And in the main studio, there's also a reel-to-reel -reel tape recorder which can be used for pre-recorded programmes or for people who bring their own music onto the ship on tape or cassette. And what about the actual transmitting side of the station? Well, the transmitters, we've got three transmitters, um, one of which is incomplete, We've got a large 50-kilowatt RCA transmitter using a strange system called Amplifase, um, which I don't think we'll go into just at the moment, and a smaller 10-kilowatt RCA transmitter and, uh, a, a, well, a kit-form RCA transmitter, shall we say, which uh, needs quite a lot of work to put it back together. Um, they feed an aerial, which is um, 300 foot high, and um, very impressive too. I don't know if any of your listeners have seen photographs of it, but the aerial is considerably taller than the ship is long, and it looks a fine and impressive sight as you approach it on the tender. How about the power supplies? Obviously you can't plug into the national grid, so how's the, the thing <laughs> no. run? Well, we'd need a very long extension lead, wouldn't we, if we did that? No, we have two man generators. They're a German diesel generator on the ship. They're both 175 kilowatts and we normally run one at a time. The generators are three-phase generators, and they will provide enough power to run the transmitter flat out, just about, and uh, hopefully we're going to install some extra equipment to allow us to get even more power from the transmitters, and at some time in the future maybe install a more powerful transmitter, or perhaps run two transmitters at once to provide two services on different frequencies, um, but that's very much in the future. Caroline certainly is an interesting operation. So much so, in fact, that over the last few years since the mid-70s, an organisation of supporters called the Caroline Movement has come into being. John Birch is a leading member, and he explained to me why he thinks the station has such a loyal following. I think, really, the, uh, the, the UK Caroline Movement member, or the, the UK free radio fan, if you like, uh, is the sort of person that's looking for something a little more in radio than just straight music radio. They're looking for something... Um, in the form of a, a spirit out there. Um, Caroline's um, mystique is, is in that it's not just a radio station. It's about, if you like, the, the diary of the life of some guys on board a ship sitting out in the middle of the North Sea. 
and uh, talking about their events in between the records and that that can change every day, uh, that all sorts of events can arise to make it sound um, exciting and varied is something that really attracts the attention of a heck of a lot of people and has done for many years. And that really is what we base our existence on, in that we are one of the few organisations around that can in fact... um, uh, talk about this and uh, perhaps relay some of the fact behind the strange things that happen and uh, interest people in it. So I suppose that's where it comes from, really. It's just um, something that can't really be explained. It's a spirit, uh, a mystique about a station like that. It's also, I mean, of course, the fact that people are listening to something out there in the unknown. It's out at sea, it's out of sight of land, and really, if you've never seen the ship before, you you have this vision in your own mind of what it's like you have a vision of a great white ship out there broadcasting to millions of people when in fact uh, the realities are uh, something quite different from that what's it like going out on a boat trip to visit caroline because apparently lots of people go out to see it on quite a regular basis oh yes that's very true um to actually go and see the ship is not illegal it's something that uh, we in fact organize on a very regular basis as you quite rightly say um, because she's so far out at sea, um, it takes some time to reach the boat. It's about a four-hour journey to the Ross Revenge, the home of Radio Caroline. Um, and I think it's very true to say that if you've never been there, the first thing you, you experience when you see the ship for the first time, and it's true because I felt this way when I went out there for the first time and saw her, um, you see that the vessel or the transmitting mast loom up on the horizon and you get a very distinctive buzz within you. It's... it's um, it's not RF, but it's something very similar, I think. And um, it just means something quite incredible. You get out there, you see the ship there, and as you get closer to her and begin to, to pick out her, uh, her detail and you see the guys on board and the, the DJs and crew uh, welcoming you to find out all the latest news from land, it's a great feeling. It's a very friendly atmosphere. It's something that I don't think uh, people really can experience with a land-based radio station. Um, it's something you can get very close to and become a part of, and uh, really that, that is something that only Caroline could do. Now, you mentioned legalities or illegalities there. What is the Marine Offences Act and and what things does it make difficult and what things does it make illegal? Well, in 1967, uh, our government passed uh, the Marine Offences Act here, which basically um, means that any person living in a country that has legislated against offshore radio is considered an outlaw insofar as that if they supply or assist or or work for an offshore radio station, uh, they are doing something wrong. Although the radio station itself, anchored as it is in international waters, is perfectly legal. Um, Now, um, life is made difficult uh, from that point of view because the ship cannot be tendered legally from the United Kingdom or from our nearest continent. I mean, the nearest country from which she can legally be tendered is, is in fact, Spain. But they get round it. Um, people are experienced at these things. Caroline hasn't been around for 16 years for nothing, so uh, I think uh, <laughs> we we see them playing them at their own game to some extent anyway. Now, you might get the impression from that that Caroline almost ignore the Marine Offences Act, but Ronan O'Reilly is adamant that they adhere to the law. We are running the operation in complete compliance with all legislation. We are not in any way... Um, you know, this ship has always been 100% legal. Radio Caroline is a legal entity, internationally legal, recognised as such. Nothing in the Marine Offences Act or any other act that says the ship out there is doing anything illegal. But what about individuals working for Caroline? How do they feel about the law? First of all, it's quite an adventure. I enjoy uh, the, the spirit of, of piracy about it. It's quite, quite entertaining. 
it leads to some very silly situations, but nonetheless, there is a spirit of adventure about it, and I've always been a, a swashbuckler at heart. There's a touch of the Errol Flynn in me. I won't tell you where, but there is a touch of the Errol Flynn in me. Um, I think it's silly that it should be illegal. I don't really think that we're doing any harm to anybody. And judging by the volume of letters that we get, we're bringing a lot of pleasure to people. Our listenership is estimated to be by Gallup, the poll organisation, about three and a half million in England. And in Holland, a similar survey was done, and that also gave us about three million listeners. So clearly there's a need for a station such as Caroline. I think it's just sad that the governments can't get together and agree to let's carry on without harassment and without interference. Do you think the governments, and by the governments I mean Holland, Belgium and the UK, as well as various others that have passed Marine Offences Acts, will actually manage to get you off the air? I doubt it. They haven't managed. They've been trying since 1967 and they haven't managed yet. I think that as long as there's an audience, there'll be, if not a Caroline, then certainly something very, very similar, and probably a Caroline as well. Andy isn't the only one that claims there's something special about Radio Caroline. Since the 1970s, the station has been broadcasting what's described as loving awareness. Well, the loving awareness uh, trigger the concept that uh, if we pushed out into the ether, the those two words in as many ways as we could that just maybe a few people might be inspired, triggered, uh, whatever, into uh, at least thinking that there might be another way um, to habitually live our lives. I mean, just another way to, 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 to at least consider the, uh, the possibility. So much for the spirit of the station. But what are the practical problems of running a station at sea? Andy? Well, there are a few very significant differences. For example, most engineers tend to stack their test equipment up one piece upon another. But uh, on a ship, you tend to need new test equipment very quickly if you do that sort of thing. Um, another problem that you find is that you have to have all of your spears available on the ship, uh, especially in winter, because you may not be able to get a tender from Spain to bring you the new spears that you need if, for example, a vital part of the transmitter uh, goes wrong. If you don't have the spear on the ship, you may well find yourself off the air for a week or two while you're waiting for good enough weather for a ship to come across the Bay of Biscay to bring the supplies for you. That's probably the most irritating thing that can happen on the ship. We're quite well stocked with spears, so hopefully that won't arise. But on previous ships I've worked on, that has been quite a large problem. Um, one advantage of being on a ship and working on medium wave is that we have a very good earth and a very good ground plane to counterpoise our aerial. Um, the sea is one of the best conductors you can find, really. So our aerial is operating at very, very high efficiency compared to most medium wave stations and that does somewhat increase our range. And there we are, up to the present day, with Caroline back on the air despite the provisions of the Marine Offences Act. Not only that, the station could well have competition. Ah, well, in fact, that is a very good possibility if, in fact, it hasn't already come about. Uh, Caroline has uh, another competitor. It's a station known as Radio Laser and it will broadcast from a vessel known as the Communicator. Um, Radio Laser, in actual fact, has been put together by a number of people uh, from the United States, in fact, who had more than a little to do with the original 
return of Radio Caroline. And uh, they have, in fact, split from Caroline and gone off to do their own thing, as it were. And uh, whilst I think, of course, that uh, getting too many offshore radio stations on the air may stretch the... Uh, uh, the, the willpower of the British authorities at this stage anyway. Life looks to be very interesting in the future on the offshore front uh, if and when Radio Laser do manage to get onto the airwaves. So uh, I, I personally feel that there's a lot to be looking forward to in the next few months anyway. Well, we'll have to wait and see what happens. The last word goes to John Peel and Tony Blackburn, men who spun the discs the first time round. I don't get the chance to listen to the radio all that often and the little bits I've heard of Caroline so far are almost exactly what I don't like about radio or the, the, I think certainly the bits I've heard seem to consist by and large of playing five American records in a row and then saying what they were and playing another five American records and uh, perhaps I'm being unfair to them and it's not like that now but uh, that's, not my, I mean, I, that's not my idea of the kind of radio programme that I want to listen to although quite clearly there are people who do although not, I suspect, 18 million listeners that I saw somebody claim for uh, Radio Caroline Look, people who want it, best of luck to them uh, it, it doesn't interest me I, I was hoping they'd come on and do a, uh, a very strong American Top 40 radio station a commercial, a proper commercial radio station which would have knocked the IBA one stupid because uh, they could have made it sound, as we did many, many years ago, like a proper commercial radio station. We still haven't got what I would call a proper American commercial radio station in this country, apart from one or two of the land-based pirates who are doing quite a good job at the moment. So from me, Lawrence Hallett, bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Pirates of the Airways podcast. If you want to get in touch about this or any other episode, or would like to tell everybody how you and your mates helped change the face and sound of radio, or would like to attend a land-based pirate radio convention next year, then email us at piratepod7080 at gmail.com we'll be back in a couple of weeks with another Pirates of the Airways podcast so until then keep a good look out during those tape changes Radio Nova broadcasting on 1404 kilohertz of the medium wave band 212 metres unfortunately we've had to suspend your regular broadcasting this is due to the post office requiring to test and inspect our equipment we'll return you to normal broadcasting just as soon as we can this is a 1386 audio production